money here? Well, the, the value to Hipstamp to me is because I have a large database of material to sell. It's you know you create a data feed, which is you know from my database. It you know I just ex export it to an Excel spreadsheet, which is pretty easy. But the disadvantage of like using Del Camp, which is a far more lucrative site because you're getting an entirely different market, meaning Europe, yeah. is that we have to categorize things, which yeah. is a pain in the butt. Whereas Hipstamp, you know, their categories are very simple: countries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you just have a, if you put the country field, uh, and it automatically categorizes it for you. It's wonderful in that regard. Are we recording right now? Yes. Okay. Because uh, okay, oh, people people who just uh, took in, um, you sell. This is Jim. He'll introduce himself in a second. You sell on Amazon and Hipstamp and Dell Camp and eBay. A little bit on eBay, but also my own sites and your own sites too. Yeah, we'll let you plug them later. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, yeah, yeah go you can move this go over that again if you need to. with Amazon because I thought this was really interesting. What started this conversation? Because you know, this is the witty banter section. Um, I noticed that well, the banter section at least. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that the uh, post office is now heavy duty on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so when you type in for a postage, you don't get the guys who are selling the counterfeit stamps anymore. And I actually did a search for them, and they're very hard to find or gone. Mm -hmm. So how is Amazon for you? Well, you know, we started on Amazon about two years ago, and it was quite lucrative because there was not a lot of price competition. It wasn't that you sold a ton of stuff, but what you sold was at a good price, yeah. and you made money on it even though Amazon's fees are much higher than almost any other marketplace. Um, what was... 20%? Uh, more, more, depends on what you're selling. There's You pay $40 a month, $1 per item, and then 20%, I believe, uh, on the sale price. So, I mean, it, you know, it's significant. Do yeah. you ship your own items? Because yes, yes, absolutely. They charge twenty five percent if they ship them. Well, it, it, you know, selling stamps is not the kind of thing you want to send to Amazon. Yeah, They're, it's absolutely the wrong, way, the wrong kind of thing for them to try to ship. But as time has gone on, there's gotten more and more people on Amazon, and you know, there's a lot more price competition. I mean, you know, Amazon sends you an email a couple of times a week where you're not the lowest price because that, of course, is what they want you to yeah. have the lowest price. Yes. And, you know, there was one sheet, I that uh, 22 cent wildlife sheet of 50 stamps, $11 face, well, somebody was selling it for seven bucks. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to compete with that. I can't. I mean, so I, you know, you, you stop trying. So what we try to do is, to, to be successful on Amazon is you try to sell something that nobody else has. Well, hold on though. Seven bucks. Do you know how much he was charging for shipping? Uh, probably the, the default for Amazon they suggest is four forty nine. Okay. So if he's charging seven bucks plus five bucks for shipping, mm -hmm. then he has to kick back 20% plus $1. Plus, yeah. Plus whatever percentage that you can put of his $40 a month selling fee. Yeah. He's getting substantially less than face. And yeah. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you wind up getting less than face for other things too. Sometimes you get a lot more. Yeah. There, you know, the key is to find things where there's less competition, three, four and five cent sheets. There's a lot less competition because the truth is, is there's not as many of those around as there used to be. 
Well, the other thing too is like uh, the big counterfeit thing was the vintage rose. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody wanted to buy those for like their. They wanted to uh, put them on their invitations for their wedding invitations mm-hmm. and their birthday invitations. So it was a very very popular stamp. Yeah. And, and now they're out of the market because the post office stepped yeah. in. Well, what I can tell you is, is that, you know, we generally, you know, December, we sell a lot of old Christmas stamps. Oh, yeah. And in June, you sell a lot of old love stamps yeah. because that's what people find. I mean, the key to Amazon is getting in the buy box. And one of the problems is, is when we just put up general inventory, it's all, it's all one off. And so you really can't get a buy box if it's one of a kind. Right. You need to have a quantity. So, and, and the other problem is, is I suspect, I, I know Amazon would be a great place just to sell basic U.S. stamps, but the problem is, is <laughs> you can't do it. Yeah. You know, we've actually, ha- you know, we have a lot well, of... Well, you, you can, but you need things that you have multiple pieces well, of. yeah, we always do that. I mean, you know, we, you know, I mean, just it, without having to make... One of the things we try to do is we try to find somebody else's listing and undercut them by a nickel, mm-hmm. and, and then not have to write a whole new ad, which is really the value of it. And we found a guy, and he has most of the U.S. commemorative stamps on on for around a dollar. And so that's fine. You mean like three-cent stamps? Yes. <laughs> now, which is fine because you can make money on the postage because, of course, you're not paying face value to ship the item. Yeah. Of course, you do have to send it by a tracked method, which means you've got to take an envelope and stuff it so thick that it, you, have, you have to pay three dollars. I mean, it, you know, the, mm. the asset, you're still paying a dollar dollar fifty, assuming you're paying fifty percent to ship it. But you can still make money. The, but then the, every so often, we've had somebody buy forty or fifty stamps, and you know, oh, what a great sale! And then you look at the bottom. You know, you made forty dollars, and there are some items you actually make less. You get minus seven. For selling this stamp, you pay seven cents, and it's just, you know, but it's definitely not what it was um, because there's more people doing it, and the things that seem to sell the best, which would be the sheets of 20 of, uh, you know, that that they started with, I guess, the 32 centers, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people selling them, and... Stepping back though, you mentioned the buy box. I know what the buy box is, the buy box is the promotion, but how would you get into a buy box with selling stamps? Because, you know, Amazon has what they call an ASIN. That is the Amazon stock number. And so if you list something, you know, that multiple people have, you know, there'd be, you know, everybody would have their separate, you know, SKUs or item numbers for that but they would all be under the same ASIN. So if you were to look up a stamp, so let's say you wanted to you know, buy a set of national parks, you'll probably find five or six people offering them uh, so, at various so then, prices. So then it would go in the buy box if you were the lowest price because there's multiple items. Exactly. Even though you may only have one park set, well, there are multiple ones they, they, on Amazon. Well, that's part of the problem. If you're offering only one, you're probably not going to get the buy box. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm sure that we, I'm sure that what I tend to do is when I do that stuff, I'll, I don't even know how many park sets I have, but I'll probably put five or maybe 10 in because I know I can dredge those out. But I'll tell you, I put up sets as transports. 
I think I must have sold 20 of them on Amazon. Well, I know for a fact I have 75 Famous American sets. I've never sold a Famous American on Amazon. One of our (sighs) better sellers (laughs) is a package of 40 plate blocks. Oh, I got boatloads of those. I've got two bankers boxes with (laughs) probably 20 plus thousand plate blocks. Yeah. But, um, you know, we get about 10 bucks for 40 plate blocks and, you know, we're giving them threes, fours and fives and they're all very collectible and they, you know, but I think we've been undercut. So we're not selling as many as I used to, but I did see records in the last 90 days of 32 units. So that was pretty good. So, okay. So back to the buy box, because mm-hmm. if for the people who don't know, when you go on Amazon, you'll see up on top, it's like an advertisement. It's a rolling advertisement. You, the people don't put their items in there. They get the privilege of having their items put into it. Mm-hmm. And it's called the buy box. And it's really the way for, you know, somebody looks up there and goes, oh, wow, and clicks on it. Well, I mean, if more, you get into the buy box, that's a major win. Well, it is. And really what that is, is that's when you click up, when you just click on the, the page with the item. Now, you'll see often on Amazon also available from other sellers. And that's where, if you're not in the buy box, that's where you're going to be. Yeah. But you know, if if you're if you're the person in the quote unquote buy box, when they click buy, you're the one the order is going to. Yeah. Cool. So. And so you also do hip stamp. Yes. And you like hip stamp. Well, hip stamp is nice because it it's fairly easy to put things up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I have a, a tremendous inventory in stamps and covers, hundreds of thousands of items. And Hipstamp, you know, has a data feed, as do most sites, including eBay. But eBay's is almost impossible to yeah. use. Um, they could make it easy if they would just give you your listings, and if you could just export your listing so you can understand what they want in a file. But they won't do that. They just make it very difficult. But you know, they're you know, Hipstamp's data requirements are very easy, and the best part of it is, is they categorize things yeah. for you. Um, you know. You know, putting things in categories is obviously very helpful. And, you know, in so, some sites, like, you know, if you, Del Camp is a European site, and of course it's perfectly open to Americans, and there's American sellers on it. A lot. Uh, but yeah. um, the categories can get very, very complex. Yeah. Um, eBay, I mean, over the years, they've added to the categories. At one point, they were terribly simple. And quite frankly, I think they were better when they were simpler. The more categories you add, the more errors you find. Well, but they have so much stuff. If you if you have a category that has 125,000 items in it, mm-hmm. it ceases to be a category. Well, yeah, and that's how most categories are. I mean, there's about four and a half million stamps at any given time on eBay. That's yep. a lot of stamps. Yep. So no matter whatever category you do, it's not very, you know, it isn't very useful. And I think that most people tend to work on eBay by searches rather than browse by category. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and that's probably the same with everything else. I mean, most people, to the best of my estimation on Hipstamp, are, uh, are basically using their feature to, um, to sync with eBay. And so you can buy their stamp. You can buy a stamp on Hipstamp or you can buy it on eBay, but it's the same listing. Um, there's somebody like me who just takes a whole big site, you know, sites that are on my different websites and put it on Hipstamp. I don't know how many people create listings specifically for Hipstamp. I've got a friend of mine I've given some covers to, to put up an auction on Hipstamp. He sold a few, 
but frankly, not that many. And I, I don't know if I would ever want to specifically create listings. Um, you know, doing that, you're probably better off on eBay because that is still the biggest online, the biggest, you know, where there's the most potential buyers for philatelic material at this point. Yeah, but I have a, well, speaking just for myself, I have a bunch of lots on eBay. I think right mm -hmm. now I have uh, 3,200 lots up right now. Mm -hmm. Cash? I, yep. When are we going to start? Because um, I I have worked Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's going to be a two-hour show. Okay. It's going to be I don't mean to be you know, okay, a bitch okay. and everything. It's okay. going to be a two-hour show. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm cutting it now. Go ahead and do the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a plenty from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Live from level 127 of the new Death Star. Spoiler alert, we, we get blown up again. This is Stamp Show here today, episode number 154. I'm Cash. Porg. Tasty yum. This is Tom. And I am Jim Forty, the special guest for this week. Oh. oh. Maybe not hey, so where's Scott? special. Hey, where's Scott? He got encased in carbonite, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> About time. And I'm your stamp mistress, Dawn. Why did episodes four, five, and six come out before one, two, and three? Because in charge of planning, Yoda was. <laughs> so if you haven't figured it out yet, today is our Star Wars Spectacular. All of us at PSC just saw the movie, and so let's talk about Star Wars stamps. You are not the droids we're looking for, but we are looking for love in Alderaan places. So get ready to execute order number 66, and let's get started. Britain just released another great set of Star Wars stamps, and the U.S. issued a sheet of Star Wars stamps in 2007 for its 30th anniversary. Just in case you have been living under a rock for the last four decades, Star Wars is an American epic space opera media franchise centered on a film series created by George Lucas. It depicts the adventures of various characters a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So it's sort of like a history documentary. The first movie of the franchise was in 1977. The film was named Star Wars, but was later renamed Episode Four: A New Hope in 1981 because of reasons. 
It was followed by the successful sequels The Empire Strikes Back in 1980 and Return of the Jedi in 1983. These three films constitute the original Star Wars trilogy. A prequel trilogy was released between 1999 and 2005. Then a sequel trilogy began in 2015 with the release of Star Wars The Force Awakens. What? That sounds complicated. <laughs> it's a space soap opera. <laughs> the first seven films have made a combined box office revenue of over $8.5 billion, making Star Wars the second highest grossing film series. What? It's only the second? Yep. No. Number one is, who's number one? The Marvel Universe, which includes the Avengers Uh, and Iron Man. So that's 17 movies. Now, if you put that, I mean, seven movies as opposed to 17, it would probably blow them out of the water. It would. And number three is Harry Potter, just a little bit behind Star Wars. And they had a, they had their stamp issue. Yeah, didn't Great Britain put out a whole bunch of Harry Potter stamps? Did uh, Great Britain and put out really a... nice ones? The U.S. did. No. Uh, yeah, U.S. I don't did. Rem- I, I don't, I think... don't remember if Great Britain did. I don't think Great Britain <clears throat> did. I think it's really? only U.S. Yeah. Okay, I'll be nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rounding out the list, James Bond is number four. No U.S. stamp, but Britain has issued a few. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, again, no U.S. stamp. But many other countries. Fast and Furious. There have been car stamps, but none for these movies. Pirates of the Caribbean. There have been plenty of pirate stamps, but none of them for this movie either. The Transformers. Okay. Then the DC Universe with five films and $3.7 billion with its stamps. Yeah, they issued a lot of... They issued a full sheet of stamps. Very popular sheet. Actually, the Marvel sheet and the DC sheet. They're, yeah, they're both very. They were. They used to. Both of them used to be very popular. They're not as popular anymore. Marvel was always more popular, but I, we haven't sold one of those in ages. Mm. Either one of them. Well, the mm. drawback of the DC one is it doesn't have Batman on it, I believe. Oh. And that's a big drawback. Yeah. You know, when in the comic book area, you're a world, you're a DC person or a Marvel person. Yep. And there's Despicable Me. There's no stamps, is there? No. No. They do allude a lot of memes uh, on the internets. Uh, Jurassic Park, lots of dinosaur stamps, but none for this movie either. And, and Shrek. Sh- Austria put out a Shrek stamp? Austria put out a Shrek stamp. And then the Twilight Saga. The U.S. put out a Twilight Zone stamp and Werewolf and Vampire stamps. We've been no stamps for this movie either. Did they really do a Twilight Zone one? Yep. It, it, remember the set of stamps that Sashid had had the uh, <coughs> Groucho Marx, uh, You Bet Your Life? We gave one of those to uh, Stan Iceland. It had all the classic TV shows. It had I Love Lucy and... Well, they look like TV screens. They're yeah. like yellow. They're ugly stamps. Oh, I didn't see that. They're those. ugly stamps, but they have nice little pictures yeah. of whoever they're talking about. You know, with all these movie yeah. franchises, haven't you checked like, the, I, the IGC issues, you know, for places like Guiana, Grenada, Sierra Leone, Liberia? I, I would find it hard to believe that they, you know, 
I mean, these countries are issuing three and 4,000 stamps a year. <laughs> no, a month. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> However, let's talk about merchandising because Great Britain just announced. Well, hang, hang on first, just so you know. Uh-oh. Um, while we were talking, I did a search. Great Britain has put out Harry Potter stamps. Oh, they have? More than one. Ah. Yeah. Or more than one set. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Because the U.S. put out the booklets and... They also gave them the imperf because that was during the uh, press sheet era when you can get imperforated ones, and those are no, they, quite they, scarce now. They have a set that looked like it was the covers of the original books. Oh, um, they have but uh, cartoon looking, not actual pictures of the uh, not actual pictures, but right. they were like the covers of the books. And then there's another set that's like Harry Potter heroes and villains or something like that. I know there's a, I saw two came up and one was. Uh, Voldemort and one was Dumbledore so I don't know how many there in that series but well the reason we brought this up is because we just got the I just today literally today got the two prestige books from Star Wars and they look really really nice here I'm going to hand them to Tom so he can flip through them since I'm the one who ordered them put them up the microphone so I can see too well we can actually hold them and see there (laughs) <laughs> Wait, I don't have my picture-in-picture picture on, so I can't oh. see. No, she do- he doesn't have it on. No. Oh, my video's not on at all. No. Nope. Let's fix that. Sorry about that. And you're on total audio. So yeah. there it is. Can you see now? Ooh. And inside they have uh, different formats. Did you get me one? Like, I got you one. <gasps> Yay! But when I was talking to you today, I told you... They came out with dragon stamps now. They're coming out <gasps> with... Uh, um, Game of Thrones is yeah, what's pictured. Right. Uh, I, uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Daenerys. Daenerys Targaryen. And uh, then they have a real dragon stamp that <sighs> has a vicious-looking dragon on it. it yes. Not, not Torgor. There's the, two dragons. There's a dragon behind the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. That's not Drogon. That's one of her other ones. Yep. Uh, but so, so they have Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, see, here's... <gasps> oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen those. Those are cool. Yeah, they have the new one. They have a Porg stamp. But they also have cool things like stories about the droids and the concept drawings and stuff like that that you can read. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'm trying to show this to the camera on the computer without, you know, breaking the binding on the book. Well, anybody can uh, go on and actually just type in uh, Star Wars Britain Prestige Book. He also got the original one, too. Oh, yeah, from 2017. Uh, Or, excuse me, 2015. That's the one from 2015. It's still available. Uh, Let me... Got the original stamps in it. Oh, nice. And if I can give some uh, heads up to some of the people out there, when you order these from the uh, British Post Office, my suggestion is, and I tried several times and it was very frustrating, do not try to pay for these by uh, PayPal. Just put in your credit card, contact your credit card company because it's going to get declined. Mine didn't. Uh, I used two credit cards and both it, it got declined and then I had to call up and say let it go through. Quit using stuff that's overdrawn. 
<laughs> so okay well if, if, that, you, that, if you have a tom credit card then you're fine if you have a my credit card you have to call the credit card company and well tell i just them to want go i mean i'm just want to make sure it's out there you may have problems but i when i ordered mine i had no problems at all yeah but for paying off paypal it's it's incredibly difficult everything has to match and it never does so uh just a little thing there. When do these come out? I still need to buy these. Uh, this one, or the new one, just came out December twenty fourth. So I ordered it the day. No, no, the the Game of Thrones. Oh, I don't know. Look it up real quick. I know it's coming out soon. And I great will. artwork on them. Fantastic stamps. You watch Game of Thrones? Alas, no. Neither do I, but I like these stamps. Oh, you're so wrong. You need to be watching it. <laughs> yeah, I don't get HBO. <laughs> I don't. I don't pay for TV. There's just too much to watch and too little time to watch it all. Well, actually, you're great now because they just finished season seven. Season mm -hmm. eight doesn't come out now until 2019. Mm. So we got to miss a whole year. So you've got like a whole year to watch seven seven seasons. You got lots of time. There's so many documentaries to watch. Oh, we can <laughs> knock out seven seasons in seven days. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah. When uh, House of Cards came out, they, they'd, last, <laughs> they'd last one day. One day we'd see them all. Yeah, we did. We bust that out in a day, didn't we? Yep. Oh, and when The Crown premiered, it was like, yeah, we stayed up on that one, too. Yep. Season two on that one. You know, I you know what I honestly don't see is I don't see any Star Wars sheets, the U.S. one. I don't see those anywhere. No, though. Whenever we get one, it sells exceedingly quickly. The Yoda a little less quickly, but the one with the lightsaber, boom. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. So then there's also uh, issue from Saint Vincent gold foil stamps. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, I, I that mean, happened. There must be, if, if you were to really look in the Scott catalog with the hundreds and thousands upon thousands of stamps that are issued by, you know, the, the big prolific philatelic issues, Grenada, Sierra Leone, yep. Guyana, mm -hmm. there, there, there's every conceivable, you know, every conceivable topic. I mean... I doubt in, you know, I, you know, I, they, even though they're produced and printed and, in the United States, they're probably you know, because they have another country's name on them. They're probably not, uh, you know, um, you know, they're, they're not um, under. No, they're not following copyright and licensing laws. Oh, so. definitely not. <laughs> yeah, they did issue the, a stamp for Alderaan, though. Yeah, oh, I see that. That looks like a real stamp. <laughs> oh, there's one for the Forestmen of Andor, also. Mm-hmm. What about that? <laughs> Well, I have to say four of the ten stamps technically fit the description of U.S. stamps because four of the characters in the Game of Thrones set are dead. <laughs> you mean the actual actor or just no, the, like no, Jon I mean, Snow? No, the characters. The characters. Yeah, yeah Jon Snow is dead. I know. He, he He's still alive in the books but dead on TV or something like that. Well, Watch on a technicality, this was supposed to have happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Chances are they're all dead, so they should all be on stamps. There you go. Good point. Yeah. 
So I'm looking at all these, and I don't see any that just has that dragon stamp, unless I'm missing something. What? You mean that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's a longer format, so it's going to not be on the same sheet as the rest. Maybe it's in a prestige book or something. You promised me dragons, Cash. I'll get it for you. But it's a it's a double size horizontal format stamp. So Star Wars prestige books are out. Game of Thrones stamps are coming out. Uh, lots of Star Wars stuff. Star now, Wars. did you say the U.S. is coming out with dragons? Oh yeah. Did you tell me that? Yes, they are. Remember the uh, the the Burninator? Yeah, we were talking about how one looked like Trogdor. Yeah. They were drawings of dragons. They weren't really like, you know. They weren't actual photographs of real dragons. Well, no. Oh. <laughs> okay. I, I found the other sheet. There's actually, there's a dragon and then there's three other stamps that go with it. Mm, looks really freaking cool. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Last week we discussed cancellation collecting. We want to continue that discussion, and so we have Jim Forty here. So, Jim, what did we miss last week? Well, it, it, I think there's so much. It's really a very big, big area, and it's actually a very popular area. Um, one of the things you started to get on, you, you talked about, which is the difference, the difference, <laughs> the difference between a cancel and a postmark. That's very important in the U.S. A little less so for most other countries. I mean, a postmark is the date, time, and place where a, a letter entered the postal service. A cancellation is serves to obliterate a stamp. And the U.S. is one of those countries that, starting really in the 1860s, the post office made it a point to separate both the postmark and the cancellation. And so, the US, you know, when you talk about cancel collecting, in the U.S., that's a pretty dull field because, by and large, there's not that much that's interesting because, you know, there's no town name. It's often just a target, a blob of cork, or some, some lines wavy or otherwise from a machine whereas the postmark can be very interesting. In other countries, there was no differentiation between a postmark and a cancellation. The postmark canceled the stamp. And what's, so the biggest difference is, is that in, in, in most other countries, you can collect postmarks and cancels on stamps where that's a lot harder to do in the U.S. Now, the U.S. has a lot of problems in collecting cancels and postmarks for a number of reasons. Number one is there's absolutely no taxonomy of the type of cancels that the U.S. use. There's no categorization. I mean, there's no, you know, the government never named them, so you don't know what they even are. I mean, over time, a lot of these have been named by collectors, and most of these names are now relatively well understood, but there's a lot of them that no one really knows what to talk about. The other, you know, the other issue is is that the United States did not really supply postmarks to fourth-class offices until about 1895. Now, fourth-class post offices, that's actually pretty meaningful because there's really two types of post offices that existed for much of the U.S. His post postal history, uh, what they called presidential-class post offices and fourth-class post offices. A presidential class post office had a postmaster appointed and paid a salary. A fourth class post office 
was run by an independent business or sometimes just a person and they made their money not from a salary but on a commission from a combination of selling and, and or canceling stamps. And, you know, so throughout the 19th century, these fourth-class post offices, of which most post offices were fourth-class, had to supply their own postmarks and or cancels. Now, when you're talking about cancels in the U.S., you do, some, you do have the concept of fancy cancels. And that's, it, they're well-collected, and there's a lot of things that have been written about them. The problem is, what's a fancy cancel? <laughs> you know, I mean, in some cases, <laughs> in some cases, it's like seeing something in the clouds. But I mean, if you think about it logically, it should be something that wasn't the standard cancel. Well, there were no standard cancels, so that becomes problematic. Um, if you were to look at a postal guide from the 1880s, you would see advertisements from companies that were selling postmarking devices, and some of them sold um, Wheels of Fortune, Pinwheel, Stars. Um, those were the standard cancels used for those post offices. I think most people consider them now fancy cancels, but they were standard cancels. Um, and there were some cases clearly where there was a great deal of artistry and people taking corks and making, it, making great designs into the waterberries that were started to be used in the 1860s are, are beautiful and very expensive and rare and avidly collected. I mean, in the U.S., it's hard just to find a, uh, you know, any kind of date or, uh, or a town on a, post, on a stamp. Pretty hard to do. So the other issue with collecting postmarks and cancels in the U.S. is there's been a lot of post offices in this country. I maintain a database that has about 195,000 different offices. <laughs> Yeah. But now that's a little bit inflated because I count an office as different if the spelling changed, if the status changed, if it was closed for more than a year and later reopened. Those are all separate post offices, but you're probably talking between 100 and 125,000 different offices, whereas right now there's only in the range of 30,000. And, of course, the government has no idea how many post offices ever existed, and they don't really know even the—they're not even all that sure what's currently opened. <laughs> so <clears throat> over the years, postal historians have done their best using the available records to get a list, various lists of post offices. On my website, postalhistory.com, I have a list of every U.S. post office to the best of the ability. Read the introduction. It'll tell you where there's problems. It's not perfect, but you know you'll know you'll know the name of the post office, what county it was in, in what state, and the years of operation wherever that's known, and that's known in most of the cases. And so that's a very popular way of collecting. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's called hometown postal history. A lot of people collect the po the postmarks from where they were born, um, maybe where they currently live, maybe a place they visit it. Um, back when I first got started doing this extensively in the uh, early 1980s, people collected whole states. And to some, some people still do. I mean, there's a certain prejudice toward the smaller states because there is the thought that they might be completed. And not so many people do that anymore. Uh, some people will collect a county because there's often relationships between the different post offices that exist in a county. 
Um, but now, you know, uh, the most the most number of collectors out there, and this is an area that's actually growing. Is they collect, you know, their hometown or a couple of towns near there. Then, of course, it gets frustrating to try to figure out where was a post office. Mm-hmm. There isn't. There are records that tell you where the post office was, but they're you're not going to get a street address three miles from here, two miles from there, a thousand feet down up the creek. It's it's very frustrating trying to map trying to map the location of turn left at the old stump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's of course when the post office was opened, it probably was a tree and not a stump. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's very frustrating. But it's it's a great area to collect. It's something that a lot of people do, and in the United States, it's almost done entirely on cover because you can't really do it on stamps. About the only time you find a postmark with a readable postmark on a stamp, if it's from a it's from a cover which has multiple stamps on it and one of them got one one of them got the postmark instead of just the cancel or in some cases the stamp was placed in a point where it could get the cancel now in many other countries you know postmarks and cancels were one in the same um postmark collecting is popular all around the world um and you know it's interesting in the US uh, early postmark collectors tended to I cut off the postmark and the stamp and, and, and save it in that regard rather than a whole rather than a whole cover. And those right now are not as popular. People still collect them, but you know, a, a collection like that may sell uh, or a stamp, you know, a postmark on a cut cancel might sell for a penny or a fraction of a penny. Unless it's scarce, it might sell for a little bit of money, whereas a cover might sell for 10, 20, or 100 times that. Um, whereas in other countries, the differentiation in the price of a postmark on a stamp as opposed to a cover isn't that great. I mean, you know, a friend of mine who's a dealer in Australia and Australian um, hometown postage says that the premium for a cover is about twice that of a stamp, hmm. which isn't very much. But you see this all the time throughout Europe. I mean, Austria has had an extensive literature in postmarks. Because, you know, the thing that makes Austria interesting isn't so, you know, yes, there's the hometown, but right now there's probably 20 different countries in what was right. the pre-1918 Austro-Hungarian Empire. I know a fellow who collects Austria for Polish towns. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's, you know, just amazing the number of countries that existed in, in there. There was a large lot, uh, was originally on eBay for a number of years and was unsold, then it was auctioned off by uh, Christoph Gartner in the last sale, I think there were 18 or 20,000 Austrian covers with Czech postmarks. No. And they were mostly all different. Mm. So that's, uh, it, it's, it's a big and interesting field. I mean, in Germany, I mean, you see it all over. I mean, there you can collect the stamps. In the U.S., you kind of have to collect the covers. Um, and don't cut them off, please. Like some people have done and you'll still see. There's two societies, one of which is called the Postmark Collectors Club, and a lot of those people in the past used to cut off, cut them into two-by-fours. They actually have um, CDs uh, of um, something called the Thompson Collection, Willits Thompson Collection, which is a person probably 50 or 75 years ago 
put together a collection of every conceivable postmark they could find, and it's actually a tremendous reference just to see what is potentially out there. I mean, it's nowhere near complete. Um, but it, well, it that has would be quite, impossible, I'd think. Well, of course it's yeah. impossible. I mean, you know, in, in some, just to give you a sense of this, in some of the smaller states like Vermont and Rhode Island that have been actively collected for many years, there's about 10% of the offices which existed, which still no one has found an example of. And some of the, some of the other states which haven't been actively collected until more recently, like Oklahoma and West Virginia, I've talked to a couple of major collectors from each of those states, and literally close to half of the post offices have never, they, no one's ever seen a cancel. And then, you know, then you also, then, you know, this, the Thompson Willits collection, or Willett Thompson's, I forget how they have it, they will have multiple different, multiple different cancels from the same office because there's a number of different types of cancels that have often been used. And then the other society is the U.S. Cancellation Club, and they focus, you know, more on the cancels, and there's more of that done on stamps, but I mean, a lot of them, you know, I mean, you know, they, a lot of people, you know, fancy cancels, but then you get into it, what's a fancy cancel? Your fancy cork half moon yeah. blot. Well, there have been a number of pieces of literature on fancy cancels, or just, you know, there's the, there's Coles, which looks at the bank mar banknote era. There's uh, Simpson, which is the 1851-57 uh, era. Skinner Enos is 1861 to 1865 era. Um, and then there's Lassa de Wind, which covers 20th century. And that was a book originally from the 50s. And in the 1930s, the post office sent out a regulation that you can't use a postmark on a registered cover. So a lot, some enterprising small town postmasters, especially in a place called Ed, Kentucky, made all kinds of crazy fancy cancels and sold them to collectors. And the running chicken, you, 90% of them are from him. Yeah, and, and since, of course, they got, their, they got part of their compensation from the stamps that they sold and the, the letters that they canceled, this was a way for them to make money. Yeah. But anyway, the point of it, it, a lot of the cancels that are in this book are are not fancy cancels. They're like double oval, you know, parcel postmarks. And then one of the books that was big on fancy cancels when I first got started in the '70s, Hearst Zareski. That's a dangerous book because Mr. Zareski, a Frenchman, was a forger, <laughs> and you know he he got a, a respected name in U.S. stamps and less postal history of, of Herman Hurst to put his name on his book, which categorized many many legitimate cancels, but Plus also his. also a number of forged cancels. So mm. that's not terribly. Um, that's not terribly respected anymore. I think there's also a book on the 1890 era, Saul Salkin, but boy, I don't remember the last time I saw that particular book even noted. But I mean, you know, you can look at any of these books and, you know, Coles is the biggest. I mean, there's thousands of cancels listed and illustrated. It's not very hard to find one that isn't, that, that isn't listed. And some of them you know, don't strike me as any reasonable definition of fancy, but there it is. So I, I guess the point, the, the point that I wanted to, to, to make is, is that cancel collecting is probably, you know, isn't, is only meaningful in U.S. and it has its limitations. Postmark collecting 
is something which a lot of people uh, enjoy. They're, they mix it sometimes with postcards, advertising covers, and it's something that uh, a lot of collectors might find some interest in. Cool. Don't you do that cash with your chicken Alaska stuff? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. And you, yeah, if you can do it topically. Yep. You know, um, mm-hmm. I remember somebody wanted a, was it somebody who also collected dragons many years ago. They wanted a St. George. Mm-hmm. St. George and the dragon. I sent them one. They sent it back. It was the wrong St. George. What? <laughs> Topical collecting is a minefield. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It is. Well, I have to say that... Um, Probably postal history and cancellations is the weakest part of my expertizing. <laughs> and I have to say, I probably learned the most I've ever learned on one of our podcasts just now. Yeah. <laughs> and by, so, yeah. by the way, you, there Jim. is a Disney Nebraska, and that is from the Disney family. <laughs> yeah. Um, that never used to be it. That, that you, well, that's actually a fairly small, a short-lived town. And, you know, I think I remember one sold one for $40. Then, then... Um, you know, Ken Lawrence wrote it up in his Disney book, and now if you ever can find one, someone will pay you several hundred for it. Oh, wow. But that's wow. a tough one. Yeah. But yeah, there's every, you know, many people do collect topical names. There's no question about it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Anytime. I told you you could plug your site. Well, give, give yourself a plug. Yeah. My primary <laughs> postal history site is postalhistory.com. I have oh, close to, I think, 235 plus thousand covers available, 70, 60, 75,000 U.S. That's primary interest is the postmark. I keep on a database of every U.S. post office that's available for anyone to use. If you ever have a postmark, you can't quite figure it out. It's missing a few letters. You can use the site to put in what you have, and it will give you the possibilities. So it's it can be a very useful tool. And you are also uh, the star of the new movie. Oh, Freaks and Errors. Yeah, I guess I'm an error. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see what he looks like, go to Freaks and Errors. The rest of Errors. us are freaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. no normal people do this, and alas, I am a safe distance from normal. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Very good. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Return to sender. Return to sender. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Worst episode ever. Oh, not even close. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Wait, wait, get this started, get this started. It's fine, and it's fine. It's fine.
drives me terrible. Oh, my, get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks will see that this is terrible. This is the worst of the worst catastrophes in the world. Still, oh, it's... Oh, four, five hundred feet into... Let me have your ducky. Oh my god, who the hell cares? Show here today. Stamp collecting happens.